The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow Tomorrow We Die. Die. A show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician. Told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music that they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we will bring you an interview with people who are out there day-to-day grinding against the many odds just to find out their drummer ran out of money in the first week of a six-week tour. Oof. Welcome back to work, Jeff. Well, thank you. Welcome back yourself. (laughs) We took a little time off, but not really. No, no. There's no time off. There's no time off in the age of COVID. We live in this age. Yeah, good to be back here, though, in my closet talking with you over the (laughs) inner tubes. So, Jeff, I'm not sure you were aware. This is kind of a big milestone for us. Okay, what is... is, This is a big deal. So, you know, we've been working on the show for, you know, over a year now, close to two years. We're getting towards the two years, dude. Season two, we're well into the double... No, I wouldn't say well into the double digits, but yeah, we're doing some work. Putting the show together, it's, it's coming along. We recently hit a big milestone, and I want to talk about it. We are finally, after all this work, getting heckled online by <laughs> assholes on the internet. Oh, wait, what? So people yeah. are trolling us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We finally left a level of obscurity where we people did. are actually taking the time to talk shit to us on the internet. Oh, man. And it just makes if me If the happy. losers care, that's so important. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So here's what people may or may not know if they've listened to this show before, or if they know me. I work in video games, and Mm -hmm. I've been lucky enough to work on some pretty popular video games. Um, Mm -hmm. When you're working on the design team for Big Game, you kind of have to, you know, listen to your audience. Sure. You kind of have to understand what the players are talking about, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and I don't want to really get into... And you're playing these games as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I play play the hell out of these games. That's what I thought, yeah. I don't really want to go into that world on our our rock and roll podcast. However, for a long time, it was a professional responsibility of mine to basically, like, wade into the depths of the internet Mm -hmm. and be a receptor for feedback, thoughts, and opinions that video game players had about the game that are game slash games I've worked on. So being able to respond to a online heckler <laughs> in a way that I've always wanted to, because, and I just don't have yeah, to hold back. Because it's not your work. Because <laughs> it's is my your fucking pleasure. show. Yeah. It's the fucking show, man. It's just a dumb podcast. All right, all right, all right. I got to hear it. I need to hear it. I need the deets, <laughs> man. Give me the deets. There's a couple Instagram posts where people came at us. and uh-huh. Just being able to impulsively reply with, Whatever the hell I feel like saying and gotcha. not have to worry about being a bad representative for my company or whatever. Nice. So all I got to say is, bring it on, motherfuckers. Yeah, what are you going to do? You can't hurt <laughs> Heckle us. Heckle me as hard as you fucking want. You can't hurt me. me. I'm already broken. I'm all the way it. broken. <laughs> Shit, my fucking singer for Bloodhag is the dude who threw coffee on Alex Jones. So you want to try yes. and troll the motherfucker whose band singer threw coffee on Alex Jones? You can't win. I've been trolled so fucking hard. I got called everything in the book. You can't even touch me. I was going to say that Bloodhag probably ranked all-time number one at reverse heckling. Yeah. <laughs> you guys would get hecklers at your shows, and you would destroy them. Oh, man. You would annihilate these poor people. Between Jake and I and then even Zach, we would fucking just put the people all the way where they fucking belonged, which is down on the ground. Oh my god, it was amazing. <laughs> it was like watching a confident dog handler yeah. like 
bring a tiny puppy to heel for the first time. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for that compliment. And that's funny because we did talk about that a little bit with J-Bot about how good he is at responding to hecklers with his robots yeah. and everything. But he and I had a heckling sort of relationship where he would heckle our band and we would heckle his band. And, you know, he usually won, but... You know, when it came to your standard everyday heckler. Because the thing that people don't realize is when you're doing the same set day in and day out, and there is a comedy aspect to that, you will Mm -hmm. hear the same heckles and the same jokes over and over and over again. So you get three, four shows in, you realize like, oh, what people are going to say. You start getting the rhythm and then boom, 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 boom. You can just throw people down, man. It's fucking hilarious. But now we're, you know, we're just podcasters. You and I. And the ultimate heckle. Yeah. <laughs> what are you? You should just be podcasters. So today mm-hmm. we have two good friends, yes. both of ours. Old friends and dear friends of ours. Tony and Meg, who are playing in an awesome band right now called All Souls. All Souls is so good. And they used to be in a band called Toadie Moshi, mm-hmm. which is how Jeff and I met yeah. them separately of each other. But there was just kind of a scene back then when Jeff and I were doing Akimbo and Blood Hag. Yeah. Toadie Moshi was you know, driving around the country around the same time. And uh, as you'll find out when you're touring, you tend to um, find yourself gravitating towards like-minded, wonderful people. Basically, it's like, and I think both times for us, actually, John, it was like, oh, that's the only other band on the show that we're playing that we really like. Uh, yeah. This is a fucking great band. Yeah. And then you're like, hi, I love your band. Because <laughs> you know? when, yeah. when you're starting out touring, you don't know who the fuck you're playing with. You don't have no. those choices. You can't make, no. you can't, like later on in life, we purposely book specific bands everywhere we fucking went. But that's not how it works when you're on your first tour, which we all were. All three of our bands were all on our first yep. tours when we met. So it's pretty fucking amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And how they've grown and just powerhouses, both of them in so many ways. A huge fan, pretty much everything they've ever done, and a huge fan of them as human beings as well. Absolutely. They're both just such wonderful people. And when we got in touch with them to do the show, I knew I wanted to absolutely wanted to have them on the show, but they're just such nice, wonderful people yeah. that I almost thought, like, well, maybe maybe it's just going to be kind of a boring talk because <laughs> they're just that. so nice, you know? They're just so, like... <laughs> Like friendly and chill. Are like, oh, are you gonna tell me about the one time that you wanted to go see a movie on your day off, and oh, we snuck into another movie or something? You know, like, oh my god, no, it. No, it turns out their stories are fucking awesome, and they get down and dirty, and they fucking tell it like it is, man. And I appreciate. And Tony is one of the biggest badasses I've ever heard of. Like, I had no idea he was such a such a bruiser. He's been around. He's been around, son. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. So, um, super excited to have them on. Uh, This is a great chat. In fact, spoilers, we usually try to edit these things down to be an episode, like a nice long chat with some people. Yeah. There was so much good stuff that we couldn't. This is a different story. There was no way to just condense it all down. So we just cut it up into two. So this is part one of a long chat with Meg and Tony. So how about we start this out with a song off the new All Souls record, and then we'll get into the interview, and we're going to throw in some other really good songs from other bands that they've been in over time.
Hello, Meg and Tony. Hi, Hi Joe. <laughs> Meg and Tony, super, super excited to have you guys with us tonight. Why don't you introduce yourselves? Meg, ladies first. Thank you. Uh, my name's Meg, and I play bass in All Souls, and I've also played in Tony Moshi and Alma Sangre. And my name is Tony, and I am the singer-guitar player of our All Souls. And I was also the singer guitar player of Tori Moshi and singer guitar player of Alma Sangre. And don't forget Last Days of Ancient Sunlight. I keep trying to forget. (laughs) 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 And we're both extremely happy to interject. Both All Souls and Tori Moshi are absolutely fantastic fans. Yeah, great fucking bands. And we have been friends forever, as we will discuss later on in the podcast, I'm sure. So it's great to see you both. You too. Yeah, definitely. Super excited to get, yeah, to start talking to you guys about our tour stories. And before we do that, I think it's an interesting spin on all your guys' stories is that you guys are married and have been for a long time for all these stories correct yeah yeah we got married in 1996 so we started touring in 1999 and it's been great because it's like we basically take our whole family when we go on the road we travel with our dogs and we're with each other so it's like no one gets left behind and that was actually one of the reasons why I, I demanded to be in Tony's band. I'm like, you're not leaving me. <laughs> and I'm not being the merch girl. I'm going to be on stage. Fair enough. Damn it. <laughs> well, the other thing was that nobody would play music with me. Uh, <laughs> Except for Meg. So I to turn Meg out of here. <laughs> they couldn't handle it. Guess I'll ask my <laughs> <laughs> She'll do it. She'll do anything. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, I was like, I want to be in your band because he was trying out bass players and nothing was clicking really. And he's like, well, you need to sit down and learn some scales. I was like, all right. So I learned my scales. And a week later, he's like, now stand up and do it. Yeah, <laughs> like, God, you know? yeah that's a different skill. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that tour we did with Tool, Adam was really, he, was, he, he took us aside. He's like, it's so beautiful to see how you take all of your support network on the road with you. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I wish I could do that. It seems like it would be really, really awesome to have everybody that you want on the road with you on the road with you. I think it's made it so easy to tour. Yeah. You, know? you feel like you're always home when you go out on the road. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice thing. Yeah. I mean, that's not to say that it's not stressful. Of course, it's stressful. And of course, there's bickering. Yeah. There, there is mm-hmm. with any band. And we have to sort of tamper it down because we don't want to be, you know, the couple that's fighting because that's super <laughs> yeah. awkward. And I never want to yeah. be yeah. that. Yeah, the other person's kind of looking <laughs> at you like, mm. Ask our drummer. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, yeah, the long list of drummers. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> We weren't the reason. I'm, I'm sure you weren't. <laughs> we just happened to have like 10 or 11 drummers in Tony Moshi, but yeah. that's a whole different thing. It's like a guitar player like, with a I get it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. People have children. They have drug problems. They run out of or money. They're just you know, there's lots of different <laughs> situations why people leave a band. Yeah. But maybe it was us. I don't know. <laughs> maybe we're total assholes. Um, I don't know. I've known you too long to know that you're not assholes. No, definitely not. Thanks. You guys talked about bickering on the road, too. And I imagine that when you're married, you're just a little more emotionally comfortable with each other where you can be raw. You're just like openly frustrated. Like, <laughs> that come out I on the think road though that, like when you start touring with your band members that happens naturally anyways like you all get to the point where you're just like 
Yeah. There's no more beating around the bush. I mean, you do occasionally have the the, mm, the mm. passive aggressive member that <laughs> turns his back on you at breakfast table. <laughs> Always. <laughs> like refuses to speak to you for a week in a van. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that happened for two weeks one time. But yeah, I mean, I think it makes it easier. So that way you just get your crap out immediately and figure it out and then you go on down the road, you know? Yeah. The other thing that I think would maybe be like an interesting spin, and this is just based on my own experience with touring where, you know, you're out for like four or five, six weeks and you come home and you're like so happy to be home and see your partner again yeah. and it's just like you have these couple days of just bliss where you're like ah I'm not stuck in a van <laughs> I can just like hang out and relax mm-hmm. all day uh, you know I'm like you said I'm with my emotional support network again when you guys get home do you just like peace the fuck out and like go to separate rooms <laughs> <laughs> no? um, not so much I mean we're pretty comfortable and we kind of feel like we're alone when we're with the other person we know each other and we've been together for so long but I think if anything we just want to stay put, you know, because after traveling for so long, you don't want to be in a bar, you don't want to talk to anybody, you just want to be quiet. So I think that more than anything is we just like the stillness and the quiet when we get home to not have to like schmooze or... You know, the funniest like thing we've we done is, is after a tour is like immediately go on vacation. After a UK tour, we went to Prague for like a, what a, a week or something, and that was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was like four days. I mean, Tony was genius because he's done so much traveling and tour managing other bands and stuff. Yeah. So he figured out a locker for us to put our gear, and we just took like small backpacks and jumped on a little commuter plane from the UK over to Prague and spent a couple of days in January. Nice. It was super cheap, like nice place. And we mm-hmm. got to like run around Prague for three or four days. And we met the nomads of Prague guys. Well, we knew them already, but we got to see their warehouse and how they operated. So that was super cool. But that was something yeah. that we always talked about where like, oh yeah, let's try to parlay a vacation yeah. into touring, which can never really Because usually do. tour is your yeah. vacation, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, when, it, when you're working, you right, know, right. you got your day job and then your yeah. tour is the time you take off from your day job to go to tour or you just quit the day job, right. and, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and when we were able to finally afford like our own hotel room oh, instead yeah, sure. of us being in a hotel room with not only our band, but the yeah. other band and the dog. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that, on that on that Prague thing, we also got to go to a concerto. It was like a mm-hmm. 12th century church. No way, like Bach and like all these. You, where they filmed yeah. that oh, movie nice. and they had the original the original oh, yeah. uh, uh, organ. The the pipe organ was up way up on top of it. Wait. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so cool. I love that city. It's it's freaking magical, yeah. and that's really incredible too. Because that actually brought up a lot of feelings that or memories that I have of some of the first times I toured Europe. And you know, I'm in Berlin for the first time, and it's like great and exciting. And I'm also in my head the whole time I'm thinking like God I wish Maria was yeah. there <laughs> yeah and, right <laughs> you know and yeah. then, and then I, also, I remember seeing Prague for the first time and just thinking like oh my God I have to come back here with Maria and then there's a night where we played Copenhagen and yeah. we got there early and we loaded in and I'm like I'm in Copenhagen I'm, yeah. I'm gonna go walk around by myself and just have yeah. a moment and just have this magical walk through Copenhagen thinking the whole yeah, time right. I wish Maria was here so it's awesome that you guys get to do that it's so cool I think you're right I think that's the best thing is that we get to see these places together and experience all that travel together and it is really magical yeah. i mean it's oh, yeah. grueling mm-hmm. you know too but it's like, there's no other thing i'd rather do and because i've tour managed i used to tour manage for neurosis and sleep and then i used to tech for the melvin so i'd be on the road a lot without meg when i was doing that kind of stuff when i was just like a working for bands um and it just it was never as fun oh that's nice <laughs> honestly not being with meg <laughs> yeah 
you know. I bet. Well, enough of this lovey-dovey. <laughs> let's get to the good stuff. Nitty-gritty. <laughs> yeah, let's get to that nitty-gritty stuff. Yeah. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about you guys' early days of touring in Tony Moshi? <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, so the first tour was in 1999, and way before, I mean, I don't know when the internet came out, but we didn't have it. (laughs) We did everything by the phone, the telephone, and Mm -hmm. Book Your Own Fucking Life, which was a magazine that Maximum Rock and Roll put out, and there was phone numbers, and we called people we actually are still in touch with to this day. We made friends with bands and people that would put us up and put us shows, and played basements and bars. And so, yeah, we basically booked a six-week tour where, you know, like clubs were closed by the time we got there or (laughs) we would like drive up to the promoter's house because he gave us his own address instead of Mm -hmm. the actual club. And we had Atlas (laughs) maps and Mm pull-out maps. And I mean, it was like constantly like getting lost and pulling over to a gas station, asking directions, like (laughs) the old way of traveling, you know, which people don't know unless they did it. It was like so different back then to not have navigation at your fingertips. We're the last generation, I feel like. It was a whole different ballgame. And you used a different part of your brain. I swear to fucking God. Definitely true. You have to pay attention when you're, yeah. you don't have that navigation right there. It also brought out a lot of soft skills in anyone else who's in the van too, right? Like if there's like someone who's good at like reading street signs before they come, then you're like, you say shotgun. Mm-hmm. I want you say shotgun, right? Or, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. or you learn the opposite, which is don't let that person totally, drive yeah. in the city because they're always going to totally. miss the turn yeah. off. Yeah, like if somebody's <laughs> you know? yeah. reading a map, you never ever listen to them. Like, like yeah. uh, no, whatever, man. Yeah. Yeah. Follow direction. Right, right. And you know what? I always felt like that's something they should have taught in school. Navigation, map reading. It sounds so silly, but yeah. like a mm-hmm. lot of people can't do it. It's, it's true, especially in this day and age because yeah. the map turns with you. They don't know what the, you know, it to, I'd always had the advantage because I'm a musician to have delivery jobs. So I always, I always right. drove a van and I ah. always drove in really tight situations yeah. and I always had to read maps and I had to figure things out. It wasn't so far fetched, like as far as the, the figuring it out. Yeah, Tony was really good at that. He was usually the driver. And the idea was that we were going to do this six week tour and we were going to get really tight and then we we're going to get home because we only had a $1,200 budget to uh-huh. record our first album. So, <laughs> so we rehearsed like fucking crazy. We finally hit the road with this drummer, Johan, first or second drummer that we ever had. So the first few days, were with the, this band called the Sabians, which were um, how many members of Sleep Mag? Two? I think it was just the drummer, right? It was Justin no. and Chris. No, Justin. Justin was in the early, uh, okay. he was on volume one. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Yeah. He was the second guitar player. And then um, yeah. I think by Holy Mountain, they were yeah. three So we did those dates. Just as a personal point of reference, that was the show that I met you guys yeah. for the first time, right? Yeah. In Olympia? Yeah. yeah. Well, I had another. What was that? It's called the Aerospace. It was an awesome. Yeah, that place was awesome. Little like. Yeah, I liked that place. Wooden a lot. room above a record store. It was store a great spot. In, was it all ages. Yeah, it was all ages it was a for bar, sure. Was it? No, yeah. no bar. Dude, I saw Corrupted there the last time Corrupted toured, and it oh was God. amazing. I was laying on the ground. It was like a back massage. Oh, so many <laughs> there. Because the wood, yeah. the wood floor, you know? Like, yeah, that place yeah. is awesome. That was super sure. fun. And yeah, though, I think that was our first time to Olympia, and 
That was really cool. So we must have met before that because I swear to God, I remember your first drummer. Yeah, we played at Gilman Street with you guys. Yeah, and I know I remember your first album and I feel like we either got it from you then or we got it from you the next time you toured. I don't remember how that worked out. But yeah, we met at Gilman Street and you were the only band on the show that we even liked at yeah. all. And we were like, holy Thank God there's this killer band and they're so nice and everything. And it's our first time at Gilman. We thought we were so cool and everything. And of course, you know, you play a weeknight at Gilman. Tell the people why Gilman's cool. Yeah, that was was the night that this dude... This dude jumped up on stage and started doing push-ups while we were were playing. Yes. And and then he grabbed the microphone from me and started just like... I don't know what he was doing with the mic, but he just started screaming into it. And I was like, okay, I guess this guy's just doing his act. So... (laughs) He wasn't at rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. No push-ups. No calisthenics. This is a punk club, sir. Funny enough, like, so we ended our set, and then you guys got up there, and st- you guys started doing your set, and this guy jumped up. And as he's trying to get up on stage, oh, yeah. you came over with, like, a <laughs> Chuck Berry, right. like, kind of hop, and kicked him in the face. <laughs> and the guy goes flying off the stage and hits on the ground. And right as he hits the ground... <laughs> <laughs> Jake comes over with the books and just starts nailing them. Just and whams the, him. The guy's trying to get up. Yeah, the it, books are it, hitting him. That was like the one time when the books were, he just threw all the books at the <laughs> one guy. Okay, that's exactly what it was. Is I wanted to kick him out of the club, but we didn't know because Gilman's kind of a hippie club, and we'll talk about this. It oh, seems yeah. hippie yeah. to me. And, you know, it's got this like, eh, this vibe, you know. So I didn't know if maybe they were. Well, it's a collective. It's a collective. So I didn't know yeah. if they were a regular or whatever. But me and Jake, you know, we don't put up with any buddy fucking with us on stage that was not a fit we never ever ever no, from day one never. put up with that shit and so dude was on his back and he's just oh, do, 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 do. but yeah for me like that was a huge show for me because just being at gilman was uh and like john just said why why is gilman important because book your own fucking yeah. life i mean that's from fucking yeah. berkeley right i mean it's the collectively run you know all ages space that's been around forever and it's launched the careers of bajillion bands and right and it had so much history and so many bands came out of there yep. so many cool bands and I, I remember quite clearly like before we even got there i remember thinking i wonder if i'm gonna see aaron comet bus that would be so cool because like I used to hang out with him when he would come up to Seattle sometimes. And I knew him well <coughs> enough to, you know, to be, uh, you know, like an acquaintance of his. But I knew that he hung out at Gilman all the time. And I was like, well, maybe Aaron will be there. And then sure enough, after we loaded in and we're wandering around, I go into the cafe and who wanders in but fucking big, tall ass Aaron Comet bus shambles in. I say hi to him. <laughs> he says hi. He hangs you up for a second him. and he leaves. And I'm like, did he just show up just because I wanted him there? Like, yeah, that was a fanzine, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a, it's a super famous fanzine. And if anybody's in Zines, they I probably know what Comet Bus is. He's a great writer and a great dude, and he was in a bunch of really killer bands yeah. and stuff from before that era, you know, the Berkeley punk scene, which I, you know, there's a lot of it I liked, and then the stuff that happened afterwards, you know, I really couldn't <laughs> give a shit about. But yeah, that's my personal opinion. You yeah, know? no, I know. And it was hard for us too because we were an Oakland band and that scene kind of exploded out of Gilman. Yeah. And we're like, is this punk? What is it? It's just fashion, yeah. you know? And it was just yeah. really weird and kind of milk toasty. Really didn't have an edge to it, but whatever, you know, to each his own. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple bands I like out but of it. But you know what? I know some of that stuff now. 
And I'm super into pop. It's like, oh yeah, I could see you guys. <laughs> like it's hokey, you know? I love the Donnas. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, like, yeah. As far they as were, I'm concerned, they're one of the best bands. And they, they didn't even they get fun. good until after the Gilman scene. But I mean, I loved that band they and uh, they got a Mr. T experience. And yeah. Well, for me, it was always, the, well, they're, these, they're just the Beach Boys. <laughs> All these bands are just derivative of the Beach Boys. And they're really, and I always loved the Beach yeah. Boys. Meets the Ramones, right? I mean, there's always like that equal. Which the Ramones to me were just basically like dirtball at Beach Boys. <laughs> sure, they were. I have to say, like, I, I appreciate the Ramones much more now as an adult. When I was a kid, like, just getting into yeah. punk, I was all about, like, I want to hear the most abrasive shit possible. It and you go to shows yeah. and you see the Ramones shirt, and you're like, all right, check out the Ramones and listen to you. Like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? Yeah. This is not no, neurosis. This, this is, like, is not what like I thought bopping. it was. Yeah. It's foot tapping. <laughs> See, that's funny. That kind of shows your age just a little bit younger than us, John. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm a little younger than you guys. It's fine. Yeah, because when I, when I was coming up, it was like legendary. It was like you had to like Ramones and you had to like David Bowie. And like if you didn't get it, then, you know, maybe you just didn't get it. I was in middle school and I'm like, ah, I'd rather listen yeah. to Flock of Seagulls. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know this is getting ahead of ourselves, but the neurosis bringing them up, it made me think of this time when I was tour managing them and they were playing directly across at this festival from Toll, from Jethro Toll. Oh my God, and, what? And you know those quiet moments when Von Till is like strumming and he's like, it's like the calm before the storm. It's all quiet. And it's like, it's really getting down there. And they're right about to fucking erupt yeah. like crazy. And and all you hear is... Yeah. <laughs> you just hear Ian Anderson going up on the yeah. flute, man. It was so <laughs> It's a heavy jazz flute. Scott, Scott turns around and he makes this, you know, they got the neurosis. And he turns around and he just like, all of a sudden he just breaks out. His whole face is just laughing. Dude, it was so great, man. Yeah, you just got to admit it, man. It's fucking hilarious. But anyway, so we we, that tour, like I said, the whole plan was like, we're going six weeks on the road. We're going to get back. We're going to record this record. So we tell our drummer, like, dude, like save money. You know, we're going to be out there for six weeks. We're not going to make any money because we we literally got two guarantees. One was at CBGB's and one was at 7th Street Entry in Minneapolis. And they were both like $100. That sounds <laughs> so normal. Like, yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. So we're like, we're <laughs> probably not going to make any money. So we, we go on. This is just like a faith thing. And we uh-huh. go out on tour. And, you know, we notice at the very beginning that he starts tipping Seattle Meg, what he was tipping like $20 to a bartender and stuff like that. Oh, man, like he's in Vegas or something. <laughs> this is Johan, your drummer. High roller. High roller. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? You know, like that's lunch and dinner and breakfast the next day back yeah. then. You know, it's like you can make your money stretch. But um, he's like, no, I'm in my New York mode. He's like, I'll get to go to the East Coast. And it's like, no. Wait till you're in New York, so, buddy. Anyway, he, yeah, I don't know what state he ran out of money, but it was before Chicago. In Chicago. It was in Chicago. It happened in Chicago, and we were playing at the Fireside Bowl. Fireside. Fireside Bowl. Yeah, we've all played there, I'm sure. He's trying to get with this really incredibly pretty girl and i keep looking at him i'm like we're going out back to the house that we're staying at and he's like don't worry about me man i'm good and i was like i don't know man i, I don't know if you're good and he's like no nah, dude i'm fucking <laughs> good man and i'm like okay so we took off and yeah, you don't know where you are i guess what happened is the girl ditched him and then he jumped in a cab like, all right well <laughs> well so she wasn't into 
So anyway, we're gonna have to he was barking up the wrong tree. He just he jumps in a cab with no money and. The genius of this guy, man, like he didn't have the address. And it was back in the day, like I said, we didn't have phones and shit. No way of communicating with each other. So like he jumps in this cab and he just has this cab driver drive around Chicago, which is a massive city, obviously. And somehow, by the grace of God, sees something that he recognizes (laughs) and jumps out of the cab and starts running down the street. And this cab driver jumps out and starts chasing him and tackles Johan and (laughs) Johan kicks the guy in the face, right? And he keeps running, running, running. And somehow he finds our van. Oh and I, I had given him a key. I'd give him every member a key. So he jumps in the van, <laughs> puts on some of my clothes, and then waits yeah. hours. And then in the early morning, it was like five or six in the morning, you know, Meg, Meg and I were asleep. And all of a sudden, the, the front door opens. And we had left the door open for him. And it's Johan. And he just yells out, I'm broke. <laughs> I'm broke. Oh, my God. That's I like. I kind of... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a sleep state. And I, and I go, I go, I go, dude, what do you mean you're broke? And he goes, I'm broke. I don't have any money. And I go, what are you going to do? And he goes, what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> so like, I don't know. Watch your star. <laughs> yeah, I now know why you ended up with a different drummer so the next time I saw you. There, dude, and it was just like, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it would be like we'd sit down at a restaurant and he would sit down next to us. We're like, would you find some money? Like, just like a cup of coffee, piece of toast, something. I was just like, oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> that is so just, intense. Yeah, that was that is so intense. Man. He's just waiting to like nibble at your crust on your toast and uh, you don't eat it. I can't even imagine. Did you make it through the whole tour? Oh my God. Barely. Oh, yeah. And so when we got back yeah. to California, we were doing something at like KXLU in LA, and his father shows up mm-hmm. with. Uh, yeah, he was his, his father was in a band. He's a musician. Instead of giving Johan money, it was like a, he gave him a bunch of cassettes to sell <laughs> at our merch. Yeah. Yeah, he told his dad, he was like, dad, I don't have any money. And he's like, well, okay. Rather than sending him money, he sent him like a stack of CDs to sell. So he was like, dude, every day he's at the work table, we had our Teddy Mochi stuff. And then Johan's sitting next to us trying to, trying to hawk his dad's blues CDs. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, come on, man. That's actually like a masterstroke on the part of his dad, too, because he's like, my son's broke. He's going to like try and sell these, right? <laughs> and it wasn't like one of the, it wasn't like a blues, blues band. It was like one of those wannabe cream bands, you know, like. Freedom Rock. Yeah, Turn it up, man. KXLU in Los Angeles, <laughs> and we were all excited to be on KXLU. And Johan's dad had beat us by about an hour to an hour and a half and was already grilling the DJ to try to get him to play that blue CD. Come on, you got to play it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we were driving to LA, Tony, and uh, we were, we had KXLU on. We were all excited to like go to the studio, and they played one of our songs. We were just oh, like, that's amazing! Oh, yeah, we were Super. all excited. That was like, the first time we ever heard one of our songs on the radio. And granted, it was like college radio or whatever. But oh, totally. when that happens, yeah. it's a big deal. Oh, yeah, it's it like, counts. It counts. I can't remember where. I think <laughs> we were playing with Foreigner Blows. Was it Foreigner Blows that night? It was at the Silver Lake Lounge. I can't remember. It was a really good like show. I think Trail of Dead was on that, too. No, that was, that was a different. Yeah, I was going to say, was, was 400 Blows even a quite a band at that point? Oh, yeah. Because- you know who we 
played with, uh, not on that tour, but we played with that band Tongue. I don't know if you guys oh, I ever love saw Tongue. that. Yeah, they were great. Yeah, yeah we played with them yeah, a couple times. Like, one of our very first shows was with Tongue, and that's when we met Christian. Yeah. And Christian was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to band 400 Blows. And then they ended up playing up in the Bay Area like every month. Yeah. So much so that I'm like, are you guys, did you move here? Like they always <laughs> Man, you know how we met those guys is we played Al's Bar to no one, but we had uh, we had support from Razor Cake. Like I think, like Jimmy and like Todd came out from Razor Cake, and then there was just some random people there. And it was another one of those like where we played with oh, yeah, no yeah. one, like you know. But the guys lived upstairs, so no. while we were hanging out, one of the people from Foreign and Blows was like, what's up with you guys? Because we're like in shirts and ties and stuff. And he's like, what's what's the deal with that? And, you know, and then, and then we start playing. Yeah. And he went up and got the rest of the band and they came down. That's awesome. And then after that, <laughs> we were like best friends forever. Like it was like, it was yeah. done. That's when when awesome. I saw yeah. them, I was yeah. like, holy shit. This yeah. is a whole yeah. other level. We love Super that good. band. Brittany's like the only guy that I was ever in a band with where he would say, hey, I'm going to step out for a smoke and just disappear. <laughs> and then you just wouldn't see him uh-huh. anymore for hours. <laughs> Man, what a good drummer, yeah, though. I miss that guy. Yeah, he was an amazing drummer. <laughs> I miss watching him play. Yeah, I miss him just period, man. Yeah. So later on in that tour, but I think by this point, we were smart enough, like, I guess, to start to develop uh, rules. Tour rules. You know, like, because we're staying in people's houses. And there's been some weirdos that we've already stayed <laughs> with by this point, you know. And we're obviously not making enough to stay in hotels yet. Yeah. So we're just having to rely on people to put us up. And... By this point, we were deciding no more guys. Yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Unless a woman like invites us, because I mean, we stayed in some pretty disgusting okay. places. I can't remember that. I think that was our only rule by this point. So this girl invited us back. We were supposed to play a show at Emos Houston, and it turns out Emos had closed down. Whoops. We got to the venue and it's gone. And this lady was sitting there waiting for us, and she's like, "Oh no!" So we moved the show to this place called Something Mary's. Yeah. yeah. So we go over there, and there's really there's no show. Well, there's nobody there. There's literally nobody there. So we're like, should we play? Should we not play? And we're like, fuck this. We're just going to go. We're going to leave. And this girl's there, and she invites us to her house. And so we go over, and Lateralis had just come out, Tool's new record, and we're all excited. And so she had it. And so we sat at her house, and we all drank beers and stuff. And we're sitting there. We listened to Lateralis, and everybody got pretty wasted. But there was this guy, who Dreadlock dude, and he was like, the whole time he was kind of mopey. Mopey Dreadlock dude. Mopey Dreadlocks. (laughs) <laughs> I think I was that guy once. And, um, <laughs> I got to say, if you didn't already know, this is in 1999. I bet he wrote know. poetry too. <laughs> What's wrong with the pinky yeah. smell guy? <laughs> so, you know, everybody parties and we go to sleep and I wake up, man, with just this, you know, that feeling where you just got to take a shit like so bad that it literally wakes <laughs> yeah. you up out of your sleep. Yeah. And it's like Bukowski was talking yeah, about those happened. gear shits, you know, uh-huh. and it's like, oh, my God. Like I woke up with like, good God. And I woke up and the, the girl that had put us up was standing next to the bed right next to us with just okay. brawn panties. And she's on the phone and I kind of hear her say, but it didn't really register, but she says, yeah, you just need to come pick him up. He's all bloody and oh there's blood God. everywhere. Oh, gross. Oh. I, I was like, uh, what, what? And just kind of stumbled, but I was, didn't really pay attention because the yeah. most prescient thing in my mind was I yeah. needed to take a shit like really bad. I was literally about to shit myself. So I go in the bathroom, open the door, turn the light on, 
and it just looks like a slaughterhouse. <laughs> like there's literally blood no. on the fucking oh my wall, God. all over the floors, <laughs> all over the the, the tub looks so like gnarly. it was like a animal had been slaughtered in it. And there's Holy blood shit. all over the toilet seat, and I'm like, I got shit. And I, so I wrapped my hand with a bunch of toilet paper and wiped it off, and sat <laughs> down and just took the gnarliest dump, man. Oh no! Because you're all hungover, right? In the toilet, there's no water, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" So now I've like, not only is there blood everywhere, but I've just listed like like this mound of like disgusting, you know. I immediately go to Johan. Johan's lying face down, sleeping like literally face down, and I go, I kick him, and I go, "Dude." He's what, 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 what? <laughs> and I go, get up, man. We got to get the fuck out of here. I don't know what's going on. We got to get out, man. He just immediately got up and started grabbing his shit, like yeah. stressed, like stressed out. And I told Meg the same thing, like we got to get out of here. So we got all our shit, got the fuck out of there. And as we were leaving, we got all our stuff in the van. There's, a, we noticed a water crew outside sitting there working. And I was like, okay, well, that, there's yeah. one, there's one mystery solved. Yeah. But, uh, uh. <laughs> but what we gathered after the fact was that the guy who did this to himself cheated on his girlfriend wow. with the girl whose house we were staying. Mopey dreadlock guy. And so we heard through like the bits and pieces of conversation of her on the phone that she gave him a blowjob or something and he felt guilty and he went into the bathroom and cut himself up and now he needed to go home to his real girlfriend and be saved and by somebody her. had yeah. to clean that bathroom with tony's giant man shit <laughs> sitting in the toilet with no water big huge whiskey shit <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah oh my lord i know see drama all right let's take a quick break here and listen to some toti moshi this is one of my favorite songs of theirs from back in the day. So we did the Theory of Ruin Tony Moshi tour, oh, that's uh, which was super fun. It was the thing of all. All the band would share a hotel room. The two bands and two dogs. Oh my gosh. It was insane. So we had this roadie with us. His name was Buddha. And uh, Alex, Buddha yeah. snored like you wouldn't fucking believe, dude. It was like literally like a fucking train, like a tree. Yeah. Just... And then it, at one point... There was one night where he did a whistle, like <laughs> snoring, like fucking crazy. And then all of a sudden it was super quiet. And then he goes. <laughs> <laughs> and I 
remember Alex, dude, he's like the sweetest guy. And he's like, butter, please, butter, please, butter, yeah. please. I plead with him. This with time. his like nodding ham accent. <laughs> <laughs> so that tour, we noticed like Buddha was like this short Mexican dude. Like he's like about my size, like kind of short, but he's really stout. You know, he, we're like, oh, okay, cool, man. Like we got some security on the road. But no, dude, that guy would start so much shit. Like everywhere we would go, oh, he no. would start. <laughs> The hardcore scene. Yeah, he was a super hardcore guy. Oh, so, I see. Yeah, so he wasn't putting up with any shit no. or whatever. <laughs> He's loyal. We get there, and there's like one or two skinheads in there, so it's kind of weird. It's like, oh, that's our first skinhead like sighting of this tour, you know? Yeah, like where were they for the last ten years? I don't know. I know. Just all of a sudden, came out skinheads. Yeah. So I took off. I went to get some food. I didn't think anything of it because it was just a couple of them. And meanwhile, Gary, our friend Gary, who's in that band, I hate God. He was living right uh-huh. upstairs above so he invited us to stay the night at his place so we're like oh cool we can all get fucked up and like just stay upstairs and have fun and party and so i go get some food and i come back and while i was gone apparently buddha had written some stuff in the bathroom about skinheads like pertaining to their sexuality and one of them had called all his buddies up so when i got back i noticed the skinhead out in front of the venue on a on a cell phone and i was like that's funny skinhead on a cell phone (laughs) and uh, i walk into the Tony Moshi Theory of Ruin and Floor. Is that right, Meg? Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. God, that's like a good show. Killer show. Oh, oh, my God. God. I would love to see that now. Holy That'd crap. be amazing. That was like early yeah. Floor. Uh, that was yeah, dude, holy early floor. shit. That's, I think that's when we met yeah. Steve and Henry. And Henry, of course. And so I came in, and, and right after Floor finished, like this skinhead starts yelling, Who's the fucking poet? Who's the poet? <laughs> this, black, this black skinhead points at me and goes, it's probably fucking Bin Laden no. over here. Is that oh, a big beard? No. That's Bin Laden now? I'm like, fuck, dude. So I'm like, okay, well, these guys are going to start some shit because there's a whole yeah. bunch of them. Man. By this point, I, I carried a big pipe. I had a big giant fucking pipe. So I went and grabbed it, and I put it on our trailer, and then I emptied two beer bottles, put them in my pocket, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go test this guy. So I uh-huh. ordered a beer and went and sat next to the guy, and my plan was like, Okay, if he comes at me, I'm going to break a bottle over his head. I'm going to run outside and grab the pipe and just start swinging. And if they get me, they get me. But at least I'm going to take one or two out. Fucking badass, Tony. (laughs) Fucking badass, man. I know. I like your style, dude. I just spray him, but I mean, you know, whatever. uh, Sir, can I talk to you about the microaggression that you just tried? So I stood next to the guy and started drinking my beer. And I look over at him. The guy's like, I guess Meg said he was like growling at me, like going like this, like growling, like showing his teeth at me. But he didn't say a fucking word to me. And I'm like, these guys are full of shit. Like, yeah, dude, all skinheads are. So Buddha comes over to me and he goes, hey, man, I just want to let you know, man, I'm, I'm going to sleep in the van tonight. I'm going to watch over everything. And I just want to make sure, you know, that everything's cool. And I go, dude, they're full of shit. They're full of hot air. I just went to the next to this guy. I didn't do anything. And he goes, well, they might do something now. And I was like, well, why is that? (laughs) (laughs) And he he pulls this giant knife out and shows it to me. What? (laughs) Yeah, they had one of these like Jeep Wranglers or something that was like totally jacked up with these enormous tires. And the car was literally at a diagonal. (laughs) The whole side was like deflated. Each time is like 400 bucks, you know? At that point, we were like, okay, we have to go now. Like, I was grabbing all the merch, throwing it in a bin. Like, okay, we're out. I don't even know if we got paid. We're like, getting out. So we like left and just hightailed it up the road. 
And we were thinking, oh my God, we're never going to be able to play New Orleans again. Like this is fucked up. Buddha just ruined it for uh-huh. us, you know? <laughs> but then I think it was like the next year or two, Katrina hit and then oh, yeah. that bar is gone, Dixie Tavern. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of the people that lived there were, you know, displaced. <laughs> so I feel safe to yeah. go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you're fine. But yeah, that was a fucked up night. That's so funny. It was a fucked up tour. It was was amazing because the musicianship was incredible, but it was a hard one to do because nobody was making money, as usual. No, and Alex refused to say, like, Alex Newport for Budge Tunnel, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's not in that. No one knows Theory of Ruin. It was their very first tour. And I think it would have been so much more well attended if he had said that. But whatever, he refused to. Yeah. We were on. a label called Volcom. It's also a clothing line, as you probably know. You see the t-shirts everywhere. I had no idea what Volcom was, honestly. I'm just like out of it. But um, we were yeah. sort of courted by them. And the guy, you know, came to one of our shows in Long Beach and was just like, hey, we want you to be on this label. And yeah. they threw us money to record. We're like, all right, that's cool. You know, like took out advertising and magazines. And we're like, cool. Yeah. So, um we decided to do this tour. Uh, they used to do the Warped tour, uh, and then they kind of split off and did their own thing, thinking it would be as successful. It wasn't at all. Uh, so basically, it was all vocal bands, and you know, some of them were good. Um, Valiant Thor was really fun, yeah. and yeah, I remember that man. Great fucking show every night. Yeah. They fucking brought it. Um, yeah, they're excellent. And but we ended up being like the first out of five. Volcom bands every night. So we would play at like eight or nine o'clock. Yay. And it was kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, for us to be like opening for all these bands that were, yeah. you know, some were good, but some were sort of subpar, but maybe a little more popular yeah. than we were. But they were just like the favorites of the label. So we just went along with it. But the pay was shit. And um, we, it was like a seven week tour. And that was nuts. And uh, we had a new drummer, this guy named Bill, that was friends of friends. He used to be in this band called Black Queen. Oh, yeah, of course. And PJ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah PJ. he's awesome. Yeah. So the early uh, incarnation of Black Queen out of San Francisco had this guy Bill in the band. And, um, you know, so we thought he was cool because, you know, we had played with his band. Yeah. I liked his band and all that. But it turns out that, Bill was a fucking speed freak and we didn't know it until we left on this tour. And before we even left on the tour, he's like, I got to make a stop. We're like, for what? For what? (laughs) And so we end up going to this warehouse in Oakland and Bill's in this warehouse for like fucking 20 minutes. I'm just like, what the fuck is he doing in there? So finally I'm going in. So I go in (laughs) and and I'm like, what a fucking drug deal. You know, it's like, so obvious this tweaking going on and so i'm like what am i doing i'm like leaving on a seven-week tour with a tweaker what the fuck so anyway (laughs) we're like okay maybe he's just gonna like get it out of a system and things will get to normal like once we like drive for a couple of days but (laughs) no i (laughs) it doesn't work that way Meg, they don't get it out of their system. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened was, what had happened was, we actually took another guy, Tony's, one of Tony's really old friends from Tehachapi, this little town. (laughs) Who's also a tweaker. Jimmy was also using drugs at the time. So they immediately were like, oh. Oh, hey, what's up? You tweak, I tweak, let's tweak. (laughs) (laughs) 
he got drugs sent to him in North. It was, it was Raleigh, Raleigh yeah. North Carolina. This sounds like a rancid song. Yeah, <laughs> mailed drugs to Tody Moshi. So he mailed drugs to himself. To the venue. Tony Moshi to the club. Okay. The return oh, address <laughs> of Dick Nasty. Yeah, because that's, that's going to work. Oh, no. <laughs> address. So it gets to the club. The club's like, uh. what the fuck is this? They open the package. Because, you know, it's like when you're playing a club, you can have promotional material sent, posters, whatever. It's like they yeah. want to promote the show. It was addressed to the club care of us. Yeah. So anyways, they opened it up, and this package of white, whatever substance falls out of the envelope and it was during the time of and a lot of your listeners might know what this was but there was a scare like an anthrax scare where people were sending <laughs> anthrax in the mail and I remember were opening yeah. it and like getting poisoned and this and that yeah so they basically took us aside in this room and said you know we don't know what this is it's like white powder and we called the fbi we're like, what? And so we had an inkling, you know, what was going on because of the manic behavior of our drummer and uh-huh. our roadie. And so we told our friend Jimmy, we're like, you need to get the fuck out now. Like, whatever you do, just grab your shit and go. So yeah. he, like, grabbed his suitcase out of the van, got all the stuff, and got the hell out of there. And at this point, the drummer had already left. Like, quit the band lift? That's a whole other story. But, like, <laughs> he couldn't hang. The drummer left the band. and. Okay. Because there was all these bands together on a tour, we had members of other bands learn our song. Nice. So I don't know how many weeks in, but we were on the East Coast. We still had like three weeks to go. So it was like we lost the drummer first. We're playing a shortened version of our set with like two different drummers sitting in that had learned our material. That's so cool. It wasn't great, trust me, but it was passable. And we wanted to finish the tour. So we finished it and it was almost like a dream come true for me and Tony because we went from like four people in a van to just me and Tony and the dogs in a van. And we're like, (laughs) we're like on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) We had like three or four weeks left in the tour and we are able to the tour well to be clear all the drug addicts were gone so yeah. therefore it was much nicer yeah yeah <laughs> probably a lot yeah. less talkative i'm assuming yeah a lot yeah. less drunk. yeah the van was way dirtier though <laughs> strangely enough oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no one was picking things up they're looking at oh shit i gotta get that it's so clean it's weird the only good thing about tweakers <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I thought toothbrushes were for brushing your teeth. Oh no 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 no. They're for cleaning the chrome. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. We finally get a booking agent which was amazing. Uh, this guy, Peter Davis, picks us up and starts booking us on these tours. And by this point, we're getting guarantees and it's amazing. We're like, whoa, we're making $250 a night? This is incredible. Yeah. That and, was Luke. You know, so... Now we're, we want to tour a lot because we're getting guarantees and granted we're not getting a good crowd. But <laughs> <laughs> So we're, we go and we're staying in Detroit with one of the guys from Easy Action anyways. And we're going to Canada the next day. We're going to be playing in Toronto. And we get to the border and we had had a van break down earlier in the tour. And luckily our drummer at the time, this dude Luke, his father worked for a car sales place in Missouri. And he was able to get us these temporary tags for this new van that we had bought. So basically, like, I cashed in a 401k, left the old van in Missouri. Oh, my God. Bought bought a new van, (laughs) put temporary fucking tags on it. Dude, things we do, right? So, like, 
And this isn't the first time we had ditched a fucking van on tour. Oh, so no. we're like, we stay in Detroit, and the next day we're going into Toronto, and we pull up with this van with temporary tags. And the guy asked me for my license and number. He goes, he goes, what's the license number? And I go, well, my, and I gave him my license. You know, that's what you say in the United States. Yeah. And he, apparently, he meant the number on the back of the plate. Uh, French Canadian. Pull over. <laughs> pull over. And I'm like. Okay, so he pulls this over. Like everybody yeah. knows their fucking car license. I don't know my license plate. And he's just a fucking asshole. Like the whole time he just starts <laughs> fucking with us, dude. And he's like, he starts saying all this shit. Like, like he's ninety nine point nine percent sure that we're we've got drugs on us. <laughs> and so he he brings the dog out, and of course, you know, Luke was smoking weed yeah. at, in Detroit that morning. So the the van probably reeks of weed, and the dog barks and shit. But there's no weed in the yeah. van. Yeah. So they they tear the van apart, right? They Before we everything out of the van, and they're going through, and they find this video that was called Stoner Rock. What was it called? It Meg? was called Hot, Hot Chick Stoner Rock Barbecue. Oh yes, I remember that. <laughs> we were selling that because we were on the soundtrack, and yeah. Tina from Lasco from directing yes, it from Lasco. So that was her movie. She's like, oh, you guys. On tour. So that was part of our merchandise we were selling. So he, he got that and he's like, oh yeah, this is proof. You guys have drugs. And so we're like, that's a video. Yeah. No, we don't have drugs. He's like, I don't care. So he made us tear everything out yeah. and he found nothing, but the dogs barked at us because whatever, Luke smelled like weed because he'd smoked earlier. Probably, so yeah. they take us inside and they separate us. And I yeah. go into a room with the lady professionals and sure. <laughs> Tony and Luke go in another area. And, you know, one by one, they're like, okay, take off your clothes bit by bit. And like starting with the barrettes in my hair and the hair clips and this and that. So I'm taking everything off. And as I'm going down, I'm like, well, fuck, I'm on the rag. Like, okay. Oh, so no. <laughs> Like, what do I do with this? I'm like, how do you not know? Like, this had to have happened. This is your yeah. job. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's not the first time right. that you can say, listen, I'm on my period. So they were like looking at each other, kind of dumbfounded. Like, what do we do? Really? They hand me a fucking evidence bag. I just put the tampon in an evidence bag. And so and that was it. Like, I didn't have to like, I had to spread them, but I didn't do a cavity search. But oh, I was like, that's fucking weird and awkward. But I mean, whatever. I did like a yeah. bunch of artist modeling. Like I didn't. It didn't bother me that I had to get yeah. naked in front of people. Like that's not the point. But I was just like, how do you not know when a woman is bleeding? Like what to do in that situation? You yeah, know, the, I mean, it's it. it's like a thing that happens with all women. So Every month. <laughs> let's just. So. It's gonna by volume. <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> it had to have happened, and that's why I was so dumbfounded by their reaction. How is there no like protocol? There's no protocol. Like, what do you do with the pad? Come on, lady. Well, they read us our <laughs> rights. That's some bullshit. <laughs> so anyway. But yeah, same with me. Like they took me in and they're like, okay, well, one article of clothing at a time. So I'm like, really? Like it's that kinky? So I like, <laughs> you know, one shoe, one sock, yeah. one shoe, one sock, pants. And then like, you know, dick and balls, like pick oh, them yeah. up for them. And oh, then yeah. like, then it's like bend over and spread your butt cheeks. And it's like, really, man, you're going to look in my asshole. And that's when they found out that you were also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was also on the rack. Yes, what, guys? <laughs> <laughs>
So then they take us, then like they let us get dressed and they bring us into the fucking immigration office to let us through and give us our papers. And the guy asked for a free fucking CD. And I'm oh, like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> really? How about I, how about I loop no. this CD up and I shove it up your ass? How about that? Yeah, or we'll, we'll drop it in the evidence bag with the yeah. tampon. How about that? Air package. Oh, geez. John, have you ever been searched at the border like that? Have you ever gotten. No, no, we've we've had some hairy border crossings, but we never got like hardcore search searched or like pulled aside. We mostly were victimized by like just the fucking financial racket that the border yeah, crossing can be, can be yeah. where they're like, you know, they, they check everyone's records. And, and like for a while we were in a, a band with a guy who had a DUI just from yeah, years ago, right? Sure. He's just like young, yeah. young mistake, had a DUI on his record. And in, in Canada, they're like, that's a felony. So Sorry, we you hey. can't come in, but we could maybe work something out for you guys. You could buy a temporary work visa that's good oh, for forty eight hours, and it'll cost you yeah. seven hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's just a shakedown. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of border crossing shit that we would have. We did. <laughs> we had one hilarious one in in Europe where they called the dogs, and there was no reason to suspect us. Other than it was just like a bunch of hairy, gross dudes in a van. Yeah, sure. Right? Just being like, in a van. You're in a band. Okay, we're going to search the van. I think we were in on like the Swiss border, maybe. Um, it was not a typically like hardcore border. And they're like, yeah, we're calling the dogs. And they were trying to have like a, like really hard faces about it. Like, you know, <laughs> creased, creased yeah. eyebrows and like very straight mouths. And they're just like, we're bringing in the dogs. It's going to get real bad. And so they bring in their dog and it's this adorable chubby uh, black rabbit. Oh, <laughs> oh look at it. <laughs> just like a little yeah, the dog sees us and just runs up to us and just starts wagging <laughs> its tail and it just wants to be pet. It was just cute. And they like pulled the dog over to the gear and they're like, you know, please check for drugs. Yeah. And the dog like sniffed and didn't find anything and just wanted to hang out. And so we just kind of pat the dog for 15 minutes while they did their thing. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Tender story. <laughs> okay, let's break this up a little bit and let's go back in time and let's listen to something off of All Souls' first record, which is phenomenal. I was working for the Melvins. We were heading into Croatia and they pulled us everybody off the bus and they had us all put the bags in a row. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, now watch as I have special trained dog go through bag. <laughs> <laughs> dog comes out and he starts going up to the bags and he gets over to Krovers and he's just like, rrr, rrr. and I'm like, yeah, well that makes sense. And he goes over to Dave's and he's like, rrr, rrr. And then he goes over to mine and he starts fucking barking, dude. And I'm like, I don't even fucking smoke weed. And I guess it was because of the cheese. 
So the dog fucking uh. freaked out. Oh, the so anyways, like, delicious, delicious cheese. Yeah. So, but it turns out, so it's exactly what you guys were talking about, where they just wanted money, and they they arrested yeah. our our merch guy, who's a sweetheart, super good friend of mine, because he had a prescription drug on him without the physical prescription in his pocket. Mm. So they arrested him and wanted 700 euros in order to release him. What a jerk. It's just some fucking bullshit, man. It's just all money grab. Yeah, it happens. Well, yeah, mm. and talking about the crossing over into Canada, I remember like bands would do all these crazy things to hide their merch. <laughs> Opening up the, the cabinets and stuffing shirts and stuff inside the cabinets. <laughs> and or stopping at a border before you get into Canada and dropping off the merch there and going yes. in with just a certain yes. amount of shirt is what we did. And then would come back. So you wouldn't get charged yeah. for all of that. But I remember like high on fire would like, cause they had so many cabinets. They were able to like shove a bunch of shirts in all the cabinets and transport them across. The That's border. something we should try and explain from America to Canada. They want a work visa. Right. If you're going to make yeah. money yeah. and they also want to know if you're selling merch over there. Yeah. And so normally, mm -hmm. just to explain to people who don't cross the border that much. Yeah, no, band, this is a good call. This is a good call. Yeah. You know, we would like do what we call sticks and picks, which is like you bring your guitar, you bring your sticks, maybe your snare, you know what I mean? And you kind of shove them in the back of your car and then, mm -hmm. or your van or whatever. And then when, the border crossing looks at it. They're like, what are you doing? And eh, we're just visiting. You know what I mean? And if they ask you too much, you're yeah. like, oh, well, we might jam with our friends. But it's a slippery slope because if you're going to be in Canada for a long time, actually making money, you need to sort of. Special permits. Yeah, you need special permits. And, you know, you can't yeah. just go a lot of from border to, to border. No. You know, yeah, and so, and for context too, all these laws are made for giant touring acts. Like these right. laws are, these laws are made for like ACDC right. and like Katy Perry, right? Nothing to do with no. us and punk bands well, trying to cross the border. And these laws are in place, which I mean, they make sense to a certain extent. Where if you have someone like you know, fucking Lady Gaga's coming into yeah. Canada to play Vancouver, she does one show, she makes millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And then leaves, right. pieces out with like a chunk of Canada's Canadian economy money. in her pocket, yes. right? Yeah, she's got to pay so, some taxes. So these these laws are in place to sort of like protect. But for yeah, bands like that, yeah, you know, air quotes may, protect may people like because five T-shirts yeah. and maybe like yeah. Well, so for us coming from California, we had no choice but to bring the whole gear. So, but what we would do, we would bring like five T-shirts, five CDs, yeah. five vinyl, and be like, it's promotional. Yeah. You know, we're just going to give these away. And because yeah. there was such a small number, they'd be like, okay, just go through and you don't need any extra paperwork for but that. But you would still bring your amps up and not get caught? Well, we had paperwork for the show. Like at that point, we had we we were gonna record. booking agents that would go through yes. the whole rigmarole of like making exactly. it legal for us. Yeah. What is that rigmarole? You know, like I don't fucking know. They dealt with it. The rigmarole is, is, is basically <laughs> is basically the the venue manager or the venue itself has to buy you a permit or buy you uh, entrance into yeah. Canada. Yeah. So they have to pay you a four hundred dollar fee or four hundred Canadian dollar fee. I think that a lot of this, I should say, and I want to say this, is that a lot of it is xenophobia. Yeah, and a lot of it is especially with mm -hmm. the Mexican border, and especially like like there's no reason that there there can't be 
a North American sort of treaty in which people can go in and out of countries and work. It happens in Europe. You know, it happens in Europe. Fucking 100%. It's probably not going to happen now should, because of the English, but, you know, yeah, of, of Brexit right. and, and the, the, the hard line xenophobia that's happening over there. But it's always the xenophobia that causes these problems where like if people can just go in and out and work and then leave, there wouldn't be these yeah. problems of not in my country. You know, it's, it's just people literally just wanting to make a living. And in the case of like somebody like Lady Gaga, granted, yes, yeah, she's taking money. Canadian money, but at the same time, she's creating a hell of a lot of revenue over there. Yeah, as I mean, well, think about all the jobs. Oh, for sure. Every single person sure. except for her people that are getting Absolutely. paid in Canadian money for doing yeah. Canadian. I dogs. mean, you go you go all the way down. There's concessions. Yeah. There's all the things that go in with the venue. There's, there's concessions. Parking. There's there's ticket prices. Literally. There's parking. Yeah. There's there's security. There's the management, the the workers themselves that go in and out of that place. And then you think about all of the infrastructure that went into it. You're talking about the electricity they're going to use. You're talking about the water. All the bills that the companies that basically provide all that stuff are going to be making because of this revenue that's coming in. If you stop that sort of revenue from happening, you're just going to kill like basically any opportunity that a country has to make money. It's just, it's stifling. Like, you know, yeah. it's just, it, and, it, and yeah. it really, I think at the bottom line, it is that. It's some weird us versus them kind of attitude that. Yeah. I like your soapbox. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's a little bit worse for um, over here in North America going from between like Mexico and the USA and Canada. And I think they're a little bit, I wouldn't say perfect yeah. about it in okay. mainland Europe, but they're a little bit better about it. And I think that's just because the the whole continent there has had countries at, you know, every yeah. country has yeah. between three and four countries at its border and has been that way for centuries, right? And so they're aware of the borders, but they're a little bit more yeah. practical about it because that's just the reality yeah. is that in any one of those towns, you could drive for an hour and be in another country and then drive for another hour and be in another country. And that's just life over there in mainland Europe. And right? I, th- I think that the EU just figured out that it's better economically to have that. I think that unfortunately what happens in North America is that the awesome superpower, which is yeah. the United States, is the one that sets the sort of bar. And when we have this bar that's based on xenophobia and it's based on racism right. and it's based on you know a hardline yeah. immigration stance, then every other country border in the United States is going to have that exact same stance because we have it. So they just want to yeah. mirror that. Yeah. You know, so basically, it's, it's, it could be a fuck you yeah. to the United States to give it back to us. Or it could just be, you know, mm-hmm. with, that's their stance, yeah. so we're going to do it as well. You know, I mean, I've walked into Mexico. Right. You know, literally walked in. Me too. Yeah. No Numerous problem. times back in the day. Just walk across the border. All right. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the There's first There's some half. gnarly fucking stories in there, dude. I know. <laughs> Jeff, could you imagine... Just imagine waking up to take a shit in the middle of the night oh, and just walking I in. I know that shit too. Yeah, right? Like I've had that shit on tour as well. It's like when you eat dicks after last call and then, you know, you wake <laughs> up at five in the morning and there's nothing stopping it. For the non-Seattle residents, dicks is a popular oh, yeah. hamburger Sorry. restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who has ever eaten dicks after last call knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, the shits you get after you eat dicks. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we say what we want oh man but yeah that's so that's just that's just the first half yeah and there is like times two of that headed your way in the next episode it's pretty great and i feel like uh i think i might chime in later about my border crossing story which i think is a really fun story i believe and you do pretty hilarious and stupid and gnarly mm-hmm. oh my god and then that rivals maybe the like knife to the neck of the girl who stroked her husband off in front of everybody's story i think that it's <laughs> right up there that is yeah 
That's up there for sure. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to talk about is I wanted to walk it back a little where we sort of like had our little sidebar about the Ramones. Mm, I remember. Yeah. I want to sort of like apologize for my, <laughs> my crimes against the Ramones there. <laughs> I believe that I correctly summed up how I felt about the Ramones when I was 15. At the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think I correctly said enough how much I genuinely love the Ramones now. Good for you. As a grown up. Yeah. Yeah. They're just fucking awesome. One thing I really, really appreciate about the Ramones is they're like one of the only punk bands that I can listen to in my family household where I'm the only person who listens to punk rock. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're like a surprisingly pleasant listen. It's pretty good. They're a lot of fun, and I love that band. I love them. Fucking go back and watch Rock and Roll High School and tell me that you're not having a good time when you watch that movie. I mean, that is... Totally. They are a fucking legit band. And then, if you're a drummer, which I know, John, you also play drums like I do, mm-hmm. as sort of a, mm-hmm. you know, not our main instrument, but we, we play drums as well. You just think about that fucking right hand of that drummer. Oh, I know. Fucking throwing down those 16th notes as fast as he was throwing them down because he wasn't doing the ACDC thing. He wasn't playing eighth notes. He was playing 16th notes. He was playing fast and furious the whole time. Yep. And that is so hard. You have yeah. to like have a rubber band arm to be able to pull that off the way that he does. Yeah, it's basically doing a shake weight for two and a half minutes straight. And they started that whole like one, two, three, four where Dee Dee would count off and we always used to make the joke that he was the one that counted off because he was the bass player and he had to count how many strings he had. That's a bass <laughs> player joke for you, John. In your you face. <laughs> four Ouch, strings. my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're a guitar player now, so, you know, it doesn't hurt as much. But. Yeah. <laughs> if we could exit the show on a Ramon song, mm-hmm. I would love to, but we can't. We don't have permission. Yeah, so maybe I'll just play some from my phone. But, yeah, I was, like, listening to Ramon's on Shuffle the other day. This song came on, and it's because I'm, like, a casual asshole Ramon's fan. I hadn't really heard it or paid much attention to it, and it just caught my ear. And um, it's pretty cool to have a new favorite song this late in life from a band that's been around for so long so my brain is hanging upside down oh yeah it's from the I think it came out in the 80s this course so good oh yeah it's a good one it's like punk rock and Christmas at the same time Wonderful. Well, yeah, because they got a Christmas song. Man, I saw the Ramones mm-hmm. twice in my life before the demise. Yeah. And the first time I saw them, it was fucking phenomenal. And the second time I saw them, for some reason, the sound guy had delay all over the fucking Joey's voice. And it was like, <laughs> rock it, rock it, rock it, rock Like, it was so stupid. It was like, it made no sense whatsoever. And even back then, I didn't do sound. I was fucking 22 years old. And even back then, I was like, what the fuck is going on, son? What are you fucking doing? <laughs> that is not cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know. All right. Well, don't hold your breath. But uh, the next half of this chat with Megan Tony is going to be coming at you pretty quick. So we'll see you then. Farewell. <laughs> see you on the morrow. <laughs> Nerdery. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Isotope, makers of software for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. We've been using Isotope and their products to clean up audio on every episode and in general make my 
Jeffrey, the engineer's life a whole lot easier. Yeah, the podcast is fun. You know, we're cracking beers, spinning yarns, and flopping around memory lane, just <laughs> yucking it up. But there's this whole other side of doing this show that is all caps, real work. Oh, yeah. And it takes a ton of time. And yeah, Jeff, Isotope. Definitely makes my life easier. I've been using the RX plugin the last couple episodes especially. You know that we are on internet audio right now because of COVID and everything else. So I got to say, these plugins have been a huge help and they've allowed us to keep having fun while socially distancing as we should. <laughs> Go to isotope.com slash ruinous and use checkout code RUIN10 for a 10% discount on all their software. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E.com slash ruinous and that's checkout code R-U-I-N-1-0. 10%. Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Georgetown Music, a musician-owned shop independently operated by folks deeply rooted in the Pacific Northwest live music scene. Your community-oriented source for new, used, and vintage instruments, as well as all the supplies that go with them. They're now at their new home in Burien, Washington. Visit them at 232 Southwest 153rd Street, Burien, Washington. Check out new deals at georgetownmusicstore.com. That's all one word, of course. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram to get all the latest arrivals. Or just call them at 206-602-4324. This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time. And that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc. The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out and help us set the record straight. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrow we die podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski, and this is Tomorrow We Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is tomorrowwedipodcast at gmail.com, and the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcast produced by Jeffrey M. McNulty at the Pachinko Parlor in Seattle, Washington. Additional editing by Joe Plummer and Chris Dury. Background music is by Noel Frequency Impulsor. Tomorrow We Die is produced in partnership with Ruinous Media. Check out the rest of the Ruinous Media family at ruinousmedia.com and on all the major social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening.